Today's readings from Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Well, for the next eight weeks, we are going to be looking at what is, what is the center of who we are as a church, what Christianity is, what is, what is the most important thing about our faith, the gospel. And I realize like, that may sound boring. It's not like an instructional class, like, all right, we're going to have a basics class for the next few weeks. Here's some information. That sounds boring. It's not. This, this letter we're looking at, it was... It was a, a sea change moment for me in seminary. I'd never really studied Galatians until seminary. It, it changed a lot of my theology and the way I thought about the world. But even more than that, this is where Paul, who is always an interesting writer, he wrote half the New Testament. Paul gets angrier than he ever gets in this letter. He raises his insult game to a level not yet seen and probably seen nowhere else in the New Testament. I mean, he kind of unlocks like master troll level in this, this letter. Like, you're going to be offended at some point at, at, at what Paul says in this letter. And if you listen to what he says about the gospel, you're going to be provoked. You're going to be challenged. And I hope, above all, you're going to be, your heart's going to be moved. That's what happened to me the first time. I mean, I really did not study the book of Galatians until I was uh, in my late 20s in seminary. It's sort of the letter pushed off to the side in a lot of cases. It's, it's harder to understand. It's harder to dig into. But it's all about the gospel. And if you think the gospel, which it, it sounds like a religious word. It sounds like a boring concept. And if that's where you're at, let me promise you the gospel is not boring. It is not old. And if you think it's old or boring, or if you think you understand Christianity, and it's, it's not a totally different frame of seeing the world, I'm not sure you've really understood the gospel but for Paul, the gospel, it's everything. And so he holds nothing back in this letter. And we as a church, we need to listen. Do we know the gospel? Do we have the gospel as a church? Are we in danger of drifting away from it? Are we ignorant of it? So that's what we're going to think about over the next eight weeks. And this morning, I just, two questions I want to push into which is, okay, what is the gospel, right? It's a word that people just throw around all the time. What is it? What's the gospel? And secondly, how, how might we lose it? Because that's what happen, is happening here in Galatians, is that people are losing and abandoning the gospel, and Paul is, is losing his mind over that. So what is the gospel, and how might we lose it? So first, what, what is the gospel? And I think what's hard is you can't really summarize the gospel in one pithy sentence, as much as I tried and wanted to. It's much more complicated than that. And instead, instead of thinking of the gospel like as a sentence that we could write down on a theological exam, think of it more like, more like a sunset. 
And my wife uh, loves sunsets and will often ask me to stop whatever I'm doing and go and look at the sky immediately. And so I put like one of like the 3,000 images of the sunset from Instagram. If you follow her on Instagram, this is like every other day. Um, because like when we moved to Kansas, we noticed like instantly the sunsets here are much more beautiful than anywhere else we've lived. In Chicago, where like there's just pollution everywhere. It's like, look at the... Look at the yellow sky and the overcast sky all the time. That's all Chicago. Like today, like that's Chicago year-round. Um, Indianapolis was the same way. We moved here. Just the sunsets really, they struck her and me as well, but just the rich colors, the purple, the deep blue. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's, it's stunning. And so she'll stop me occasionally. What's interesting is oftentimes she'll stop me, make me look at the sky. Then I'll go, I'll, I'll check Instagram, and there's someone else in our congregation who obsesses over sunsets, and that is Tyler Hilker who will often post pictures to a sunset. In fact, if I had enough free time this week, I would have like looked at their Instagrams. There are like multiple days where they both put, put, uh, put pictures of sunsets on their Instagram feeds. So what's interesting is like I can, I can see Misty's sunset, and then Tyler will post it to Instagram, and it's, it's, there's another sunset. Like It's the same sunset, but Tyler lives quite a bit west from where we live, and so the angle is different. There's, there's different colors accentuated. It's the same sunset, but depending on your location, your context, you see, you see different things. And I think the gospel is like that. It's depending on, your, depending on your life's moment, depending on your angle, depending on what you're facing. The gospel is going gonna, it's, it's to capture your attention in a unique way. You're going to see something that's, that's new or unique about it depending on your, your, your context. And so even though the gospel is objectively a true thing that we could summarize in a paragraph, that would be boring Instead, think, think sunset. And what happens in Galatians is Paul will be, he'll be in the midst of intense theological discussion and he'll just send, he'll give you a gospel in a nutshell statement. And throughout the series, we'll kind of pull back. Oh, Paul explained the gospel in these four or five words. And this is what he means. This is what it is. This is what the gospel is. And so the first time this happens is verses three through five. Paul says, hello, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. I'm writing to you. And then in verses three through five, he gives a summary statement of the gospel. This is the first kind of gospel in a nutshell statement in Galatians. Here it is. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a powerful summary of what the gospel is. And I just want to summarize the gospel in three ways in light of these verses. First, and we've said this before, but this is important to say again, it's especially important to start the series around this. But first, the gospel, it is news, it is not advice. It's news about what has been done for you. It is not advice about how you are now to live. So most religions, and I would probably even go so far as to say that every religion except for Christianity is advice about how you must live your life in order to be loved and accepted by God. The Buddha said, I've, I've found the right way to live in order to get to enlightenment. So follow these teachings and you get enlightenment. Muhammad says, I've, I've found the law, the way to live. And if you live this way, you will be accepted before God. So they, they all essentially teach, I've found the way to God, follow my teachings, and you can find the way to him as well. And, and so here's the thing. They have good advice, good thoughts about how to live. And Christianity has good advice. The Bible has good advice about how to live our lives. But the ethical teachings of the gospel, of, of Christianity, they are not the gospel. 
how to live your life, to be nice to your neighbors, to, uh, to give generously. Like those, that is not the gospel. The gospel is not that Jesus has better ethical teachings than everyone else. The gospel is not the best advice out there. It is news. In fact, like literally, the Greek word gospel meant good news. And so what Christians did was they took this word that was used of, of political figures who would win a victory against a conquering army or an imposing army, an invading army. They'd win victory, and then they would send back messengers to the town just to announce a, a gospel, a good news. We've won. Now you can live in freedom because... The, the victory is over. The battle has been won. That's why the gospel is news. And this distinction is incredibly important. It's incredibly important. And Paul unpacks this distinction between advice and news in two ways in these verses. So the first thing about the gospel, the gospel is not advice about how to live your life. It's news about what's been done for you. That's first. And then secondly, the gospel, it provides a new way to be forgiven. And Paul says, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Jesus gave himself for our sins. What does that, what does that mean? And unpack like, what, what Paul is saying there. Think of this question. What, how is it that you know that God loves you? Or how is it that you know, like you can sit down and pray later today and God will want to listen to you, want to engage you. How do you know that, that when Paul says grace and peace to you, like we actually have grace and peace with God, how do you know that God loves you? And our culture typically gives two answers to that, that question. One is sort of like the vaguely religious way, the Oprah way, um, which is to say that God, God loves you just for who you are because you're lovable and that's what God does. God is just... A lover, And if you have a hard time thinking that God is love, the problem's with you. You just need to see yourself as more lovable. And you just need to be who you are and, and, and see yourself as God sees you and, and God loves you. And that's sort of what love is, sort of this vague, doesn't matter what you do, God loves you no matter, matter what. That's one way. The, the other way, and this is sort of the non-religious way where God is, is taken out of the equation, but what you say, like, you're only lovable as a person, you're only at peace as a person if you're true to yourself, if you express your individual identity, your individual desires, and if you live out your individual desires, then you can rest. You can be at peace um, with yourself. And let me just, like as a pastor, like not like philosophically or theologically, like as a pastor, that doesn't work. When I sit down with people, I rarely ever deal with people who are so assured of the love of God in their life that like I just, they have to calm down. Right? Like, maybe God doesn't love you that much, right? It's, I've never had that moment. It's, it's always incredible self-doubt, despair about mistakes, <laughs> failures. That, that, is a, like, that doesn't work. And you need something else. And I speak to far more people who are restless, searching for their identity, who are insecure, and Christian, non-Christian, even the people who say, I'm going to be who I am, and I'm going to live out my desires, they're incredibly insecure in their identity. The gospel is a different way to, to receive forgiveness, receive peace, receive forgiveness. And so the, according to the gospel that Paul lays out here in verses 3, 4, and 5, is that you, the only way you can know God loves you has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with how you're living your, your life. It has everything to do with Jesus. He gave himself for your sins. He gave himself for you, which means two things. One, that Jesus uh, so loves you, he was glad to die for you. Right? If the gospel is true, that means no one 
No one has paid more for you than Jesus. If the gospel is true, there is no one, not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents, no one loves you more than Jesus if the gospel is true because he literally gave his life for you, for your sins, for your life. That he, he so loves you that he was willing to die for you. But secondly, Jesus, he had to die for you. That often the reason why I think the, the, the over philosophy doesn't work, the love yourself, be true to yourself, why it doesn't work is because we know ourselves too well. The sins and the habits and the brokenness, the mistakes we make again and again and again, we know those things too well. Right? It sounds great when Oprah's telling us, I'll believe anything Oprah tells me. She's great, right? But when, we get, when we're by ourselves, we're trying to get up in the morning and pray, we're looking ourselves in the mirror, like that's not enough to know that God loves us, that we, are, we can be at peace, we can be at rest. I, listen, I've done things to hurt people. I've made mistakes. I have sinned. And so a part of what the gospel says is not, you're great, forget all that stuff. It's no, like you're worse than you thought you were, but Jesus died for all of that. And so, like, the entrance into the gospel is that Jesus, he so loved you, he gave himself for you. And you're so broken, he was still glad to do it. He, he does, he's not overlooking your flaws. He, he sees all of what's wrong with us. He gave himself for our, our sins. And that's why the gospel, it's good news, not advice. Because the advice, the, the message of Christianity is not if you do all those things, you'll overcome your sin. No, the, the message of Christianity is something has been done for you to overcome all your sin. You are lovable because Jesus has traded places with, with you. In the gospel, there's a new way to be forgiven. And the third thing Paul says about the gospel, and this is really more next week, but the third thing is that the gospel, it's an invitation into a new world. Right? It's, it's not just, I think, that why it's hard to believe God loves us, maybe, because like, we have things about us that are broken or flawed that we recognize, but also like, we live, live in a world that's very evil and broken and flawed that sometimes feel like God is very absent from, he's distant from. We see injustice, we see suffering, we see pain, sadness, this broken world. And Misty and I, we were working through some family uh, stuff, some extended family stuff this week. And as we were driving uh, to see uh, some family members, she just said, being an adult stinks. It's like, we're just like, the older you get, just the more crap you see. And, and yet, verse, verse 4, a part of the gospel is that Jesus gave himself for us, not just, to, not just for our sins, but to, for, to overcome the present evil age. To overcome this deeply broken, flawed world that we experience, that we contribute to, is we contribute to evil as well, but we also, we're recipients of it. Jesus overcomes that world for us. And so what is the gospel? It's news. About how you can know you are loved by God. His son, his son died for you. Overcame your flaws forgave you, loved you, gave his life for you, and secondly is he entered into this world to rescue from all of the pain and suffering and injustice you face in this world. The gospel is news. So that's, that, that is what is the gospel in a nutshell. And we're, there's lots more ways we're going to unpack that. So if you're thinking, wait a minute, the gospel is more than that. I, I agree. That's why I said sunset, right? We're just, we're looking at my back porch at the sunset right now. Next week we'll go to Tyler Hilker's house. We'll look at that angle on the gospel. So that's one. What is the gospel? It's news, not advice. It's a new way to, forgiven, uh, to be forgiven. It's a new world we're invited to. So then how, am I, how might we lose it? As a church, how might we lose the gospel? And this is Paul's central concern in the book of Galatians, that, that he's planted these churches throughout this region of South Galatia. And it's in Acts verse, uh, chapters 13, 13 through 14. So if you want to read like Paul going into these cities 
um, and, and planting churches in Iconium, Lystra, Derby. These are the cities Paul is writing to now. Acts 13 and 14 describes those church planting moments. But what, what Paul's afraid of is that, that they're losing everything I just shared in point one. And what shows the seriousness of Paul is that as he, as he begins his letter, he always kind of starts his letters the same way. It's verses 1 and 2, he says, I'm Paul, I'm writing, this is who I am. Verses kind of 3 through 5, he does a doxology, praise God. And then verses like, the next verses, he generally says, um, thank God for you, these churches I planted. I'm, so, I'm thankful to God to know you and to, for you to be a church. But that's not what he does here. When he gets to the, I'm thankful that we're all a part, we're, that you're a church, and we're all in Jesus together. Instead of saying that, he says this: "I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the gospel, deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ." And that's like a major, like, whoa, what? Paul's mad. I mean, it's sort of like it would have been like if Andrew, at right as he's like, you know, come to the cookout and there'd be hamburgers and hot dogs. And then he started yelling at somebody, right? Like you, like you, what? It's, we'd all be awkward, right? It's an awkward moment. But this is what Paul does. Instead of saying, thank you, Lord, for the church, instead he says, I'm astonished at what you're doing. And so what are they doing? What's the problem? And, and here's, here's the deal. To explain this well, I need to give you like three minutes of history. It may be boring, Track, give me three minutes, because it's really important, because if, if you don't get these three minutes, you're going to have a hard time getting the rest of the sermon. So I'm just going to own this. This may be uninteresting history to you, but this is really important history to you. All right, three minutes. Now, Christianity, it, it was not a religion that appeared out of nowhere. Rather, it was the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewish faith. And so all of the first Christians were Jewish people. They had, they had read the Hebrew scriptures. They had practiced the Hebrew law that was in the book of Moses. And so central to being Jewish was keeping this Mosaic law. It meant eating certain things. It meant wearing certain things. It meant responding to diseases in certain ways. And kind of the primary sign of all signs uh, that you were a Jew um, was the sign of circumcision for, for males. And so every male child was circumcised. And if you weren't, then it's like you're not a Jewish person. And so these are, these are strange laws to us, but the reason these laws existed, God was very clear about, was that, that he wanted Israel to stand out as distinct from the rest of the world. He wanted them to look different because they were to be a blessing to all the world. They were to announce the good news of, of God's gracious reign to the whole, the whole world. So what looks strange to us, and we get really judgmental about the Hebrew law because we don't understand it and we don't take time to understand it, rather than, like, this was really important. This was deeply important to be a Jewish person, to be circumcised, and to keep the law. And so when the gospel came, when Jesus came, all of these Jewish Christians were faced with this question, what do we do now that Jesus has come? Do we have to keep living the law? Because it's still the Bible, right? We still, I mean, we didn't cut those books out of the Bible. These are still scriptures. Do we have to keep these laws? Do males have to be circumcised? And this became an especially big problem, and we'll talk more about this next week, but in Galatia, because Galatia, and, and there was another church in a, a city called Antioch, where a lot of Gentiles were coming to the faith who had not been circumcised. And so the question was, and this is, listen, if you're an adult male, this is a very important theological question. Do adult males have to be circumcised to be Christians? Do you have to become a Jewish person in order to become a Christian? And so the apostles and Paul were unanimous on this. No. You don't have to keep the Jewish law 
to become a Christian. You don't have to be circumcised to become a Christian. You do not have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. But this might surprise you. There were people in the church who disagreed and decided to, to rise a lot of tension and create an alternative party that then sent, them, sent lots of people out to all sorts of churches saying, no, the, actually the, the, what the apostles really meant is, yes, you do have to be circumcised. And so they showed up here in these churches in Galatia. And what they're saying to a lot of these Gentile Christians is you have to be Jewish to be Christian. You have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Okay, history lesson over. That's, that's where we're at. And so let's go, let's go back to the question I started with. What, how might we lose the gospel as a church? Let me explain this, but there's two ways we might lose the gospel. It's going on here in this passage. Two ways. First, we we might lose the gospel by assuming it. So here in Galatians, a group of Christians is prioritizing their Jewishness over the gospel. And this is next week's sermon. Like We're going to go into heavy detail on this next week. But the real tension behind circumcision and the law is that, that what these Christians care most about is not Jesus but their Jewishness. They care more about being Jewish people than they care about being Jesus people. You have to become Jewish in order to be Christian. And so they're assuming Jesus is in the gospel. Yeah, like, of course, Jesus is the most important thing, right? Yeah, you need Jesus to be saved, but you also need circumcision. You also need this. And so Jesus is still there, but he's just sort of, he's in the background, and circumcision is front and center. Now, this is weird for us. Like, we, no one, like, there's not a church today that's like circumcision, because no one would go to that church. It'd be weird. But we do, we do that today. And one of my, my seminary professors, uh, Don Carson, he was, uh, he was a really serious guy. He was also really, he was really frightening. Um, he was a frightening human being. And I almost took, put a picture of him up there, but actually it might frighten you, so I decided not to. And... And I had to walk up to him one time because I was going to miss a quiz. I was going to miss a quiz the next week because my son Isaiah was being born, and I was just like, I was, I was so afraid. And I walked up to him and I was like, uh, Dr. Carson, I, my son is being born next week, and so I'm going to miss the quiz. I need to make it up. Could you let me know how how to do that? And he just he looked at me stone faced, and said, Is that is that a sufficient reason to miss a quiz? <laughs> I was like, You you tell me because I'm. I'm afraid right now. Um, and then he smiled at me because he's got this warped sense of humor. And he's like, you know, get, get my TA. We'll get. But I was, I was always I was terrified of him. But he said, one, he said a few things I'll never forget. But one thing he, he said that I will not forget is that he warned us as pastors that as we preach and pastor people, do not assume the gospel but really be excited about something else. He says when you, when you preach and you teach people, they're going to, they're going to catch what you're most excited about. All right, so everyone here, you know I'm a Cubs fan. Right, you've caught that. Those of you that were here on Easter, you know I almost got killed by Jimmy John. Right, you caught that. You know that. You remember that. And the th- like, if I am most excited about something other than the gospel message, this new path of being forgiven, this new world we've been invited into. If I care more about something else other than that, you're going you're gonna to know and you're going to care more about that than the gospel as well. And I, I know this because I think I had that experience growing up in a church, in the church I grew up in. The church in, I, that I grew up in, I, I don't think it's unfair to say, assume the gospel, but was really about a conservative 
political cause, causes. So I knew what my, I knew who my pastor was voting for in every election. I knew what issues mattered and what, what didn't. I was, uh, politics were very clear. But I remember being a freshman in, high, in college. I left, I moved on, and a friend of mine called me. She'd had a cousin who died in a car accident, and she asked me, she said, Tim, how do I know that, that my sins can be forgiven? She had attended the church her whole life with me, so we'd, we'd been in youth group together. And she said, how can I, like, what happens if I got in a car accident and I died before I could pray forgiveness? Would I still be forgiven? It's like that, like, if there's a question to know as a Christian, it's that. Right? Like, that's, that's central. I mean, I just spent 1.1 explaining it. And I'm not saying, I certainly am not saying that my pastor never explained how to forgive sins. If he did, I don't remember. I do remember every time he talked about who he was voting for and why. I do remember that, because that's what he was really excited about. And in that, the, the, the message of the way in which we Christians can be made right with God, not because we offer the right confession right, not because we pray the right prayer, not because we uh, have said the right things, not because we're in the right state, not because we had a good week. We can be forgiven because Jesus gave himself for our sins. And if you come to him in faith and say, Jesus, you take this from me, our sins are forgiven. But she wondered, like, do I have to pray? Am I not forgiven until after I pray every time I sin? And this is an example. If we cannot, as a church, just put Jesus in the gospel over here, but we're really about this. This is our thing. And it's not to say, like, these things that often churches become about aren't really important. They are. Re- and causes are important. Theological issues we divide over, are all, they're important. But they are not most important. And we will not... We will not be about those things and leave the gospel to the side. We will not assume the gospel and move on to something else. And so I would even say, just that should be true of us as a church, but also that should be true for us individually as Christians. As Christians, what are you most excited about? Right, if someone looked at your life, what you talk about, the way you spend your time, what are you most excited about? If they looked at, God forbid, your Facebook page, what would you be most excited about? What would they say? The gospel? Or something else. That in Jesus we have this powerful news about how to have assurance of the love of God over our lives. Do we, are we excited about that? And, and, and more importantly than that, does, is that the one thing our culture knows about us? Now they won't know other things, but is that the thing that's loudest from us? So we must come explicitly to the gospel again and again. It's not circumcision for us, right? Not, we're, not, we're not saying you have to be circumcised. We're not saying that, but it's often a political cause, a theological issue. It's you can't drink this, you can't wear that, you can't smoke that. Like that. We add to the gospel, which is the second thing. We can lose the gospel by assuming it, but we can lose the gospel by adding to it. And so what these false teachers are saying is you, you cannot be saved unless you are circumcised. You cannot be a Christian unless you are circumcised. And, and Paul, that's why Paul says, you're abandoning the gospel because you're adding to the work of Jesus whose work is finished and doesn't need you to add to it. And if you do, if you add anything to Jesus, you don't, it's not just that Jesus plus, uh, plus something else equals Jesus plus something else. No, Jesus plus something else equals nothing. It's not a gospel anymore. You cannot add any work of your own life to the gospel and again, it sounds foolish to us, like circumcision, like that's, that was their choice. 
But like I said, we do the same thing. There are churches that be a, a true Christian. You have to listen to certain music. You can't dance. You can't wear certain clothing. There are churches, uh, my own tradition of church said that you have to be baptized by immersion in order to be saved. If you're not baptized by immersion, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. And I raise the question, why do we do that? Why do we create new laws that other people have to follow in order to be Christians? Why do we do that? And I think, at least for me, thinking, why do I do this? It's, it's because we look at our lives and we see things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. And we also things that we see things that we should be doing that we're not doing. And we just we often think, well, once I start doing that, or once I stop doing that, then then God will love me. Then I can pray with confidence, and I can enter into the presence of God knowing I'm loved and cared for. And so it's not, it's not circumcision for us, but it's other things. If, 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 you're, if you're a mom, do you struggle to believe that God loves you and cares for you when you're, not, when you're not hitting it out of the park as a mom? Do you struggle to rest secure in the love of God if your career isn't going where you wanted it to, if your boss rebuked you, you didn't get the promotion you wanted? Do you struggle to believe God loves you because no, no one else really has? And the most important people in your life, they abandon you, so surely God is going to as well. And so we see that, and we, try to, we just try to add to the gospel. Well, if I do that thing, then I, can, then I can know. Once I'm doing that, once I accomplish this, then I know God loves me, I can pray to him, I can have confidence. And Paul does not, Paul's answer to that thinking is not, hey, you should stop doing that, it's not helpful. No, what he says is, I'm astonished. You're, leave, you're abandoning the gospel. You're giving it up. You're returning to slavery from the freedom that Jesus won for you. This is not just a mistake. It's a false gospel, Paul says. And he actually says more than that. He feels so strongly about you or I adding any work to earn our salvation for God. He actually he says this. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Basically, if, if an angel shows up tomorrow and says, you know what, like, you got to be a Royals fan to be a Christian, don't listen. Right? And I don't just say that as a Cubs fan. If he said be a Cubs fan, you have to be a Christian. This would be the same deal, right? Do not add anything to the work of Jesus Christ, because once you do, you lose it. You lose all of it. You lose the gospel. And even if an angel tells you, Paul says, even if I came and told you, hey, I've changed my mind and you now have to be circumcised, he's like, don't listen to me. Let me be cursed if I do that. Do not add anything to the work of God. And so our response to the gospel in verses three through five is not to assume it, Move on to what we really care about. It's not to add anything to it, but it is to see that in Jesus Christ, a forgiveness in a world is open to me that I, could, I cannot get for myself. And to come him, to him in, in humble faith and ask him to lead me forward. And so I, I want to close our time by giving you just a one-sentence prayer to pray this week, a gospel prayer. It was given, uh, or I got it from a, book, a pastor named J.D. Greer who wrote a book called Gospel, and, and here's the prayer. He says, in Christ, there is nothing I can do to make God love me more, and there is nothing I have done 
to make God love me less. I know a lot of you are thinking, wait a minute, that's, that's too far. No, let me say it again. Remember verse 4, Jesus gave himself for your sins. Whatever you've done wrong, it did not prevent Jesus from go, for going to his cross for you. So whatever you've done wrong, it, is not, it did not stop Jesus from going to the cross. Right? If you sin in a way you've never sinned before this week, that doesn't mean Jesus is going to go back in time and be like, you know what, I'm going to back off the cross for that one. Right? No, you, he can't. There's nothing you've done wrong or will do wrong that will ever shake the love of God for you. And, and secondly, if, he, if Jesus did that for you, if, if your salvation is one because he gave his life for you on the cross, what could we possibly do to add to that? Like, is God going to look, well, boy, you read your Bible every day this week? I mean, I know Jesus, like, died on the cross, but you read your Bible every day. How amazing. I love you more now. No. No, I could read my Bible every day this week. I could, I could finally, like, treat my wife and kids with complete humble self-sacrifice. I could do everything right this week, and it would, it, it would not make the sacrifice of Jesus to get me into the new kingdom, the new heavens, new earth, it would not change God's disposition towards me one bit. And listen, I know you're thinking, well, that means you don't, you should, you don't have to do good things. We're going to get to that. Right now, I just stop. In Christ, there is nothing you have done to make God love you less. And there is nothing you can do this week to make God love you more. His love for you was made good on a cross 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. I think of it like this. In, in 2010, there was a, an elderly woman who noticed that the 18th century painting, Eke Amo, I think that's Latin, I don't know. Just, if you know what that, how to really pronounce that, just pretend I didn't say anything. Uh, it was by Elias uh, Garcia, Garcia Martinez. And it needed refurbishment because it was deteriorating. You can kind of see the original to the de- deterioration. And so this woman decided, well, you know, like, refurbishment is really expensive, and I'm here, uh, so I'll refurbish this painting, and, and the result, the, she completely destroyed the painting. It's, it's just, it's just, it's creepy, isn't it? If you are trying to add to the work of Jesus on the cross, that's what it looks like, all right? In Jesus, on his giving himself for your sins and overcoming this evil world, like, anything you can do can't add to that. It cannot add to that. The gospel, it is a sunset. It is, a, it is an intricate, beautiful gift that God has offered to you and to me. He doesn't need us to add our efforts to touch up his work. You don't need to do anything to get God to love you this week. It's baked into the gospel. It's the whole point of the gospel. Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And so in Christ, there is nothing that you have done that will make God love you less. And there is nothing you can do that will make you, that make God love you more. And the key words there is in Christ. You have to approach God in Christ. And that's my problem. And that's, that's probably your problem is that we try to approach God in Tim or in fill in the blank. And that never works. Because when I sit down to prayer, when I, I sit down to worship and I think, does God really want me here? I, I, can, I know everything I did this week. I know the way I was short with my wife, the, the phone call I should have returned that I didn't. I know I was negligent in praying and reading God's word. And it's like, God doesn't, will God really hear me? But when you go to pray, don't, don't go in Tim or in whatever your name is. Don't go on the basis of your works. Go on the basis 
of Christ. Because if you, listen, this, when you sit down to pray, you're praying not based on your week, but based on Christ's life. So imagine if this week you came to pray and you came to God thinking, I, I just completed a 40-day fast. And during that time, I met Satan in the flesh and I stared him down and I resisted all his temptations. Then I suffered unjustly at the hand of sinners, but I did so without complaint or anger. I forgave my enemies. Also, I walked on water, I healed a blind guy on the spot, and I fed 5,000 people with a loaf of bread. Like, if you had legitimately done that last week, my guess is you're going to pray with some, like, you're going to pray confident, right? God wants to hear from me. Well, guess what? That's, you get to pray that way every week, every day, every moment. When you approach God in Christ, in the gospel, that is exactly what you're doing. You're going to God, not on your record, not on your week, not on your life, but on Christ. Jesus gave himself for our sins. He suffered the death that was rightfully ours. And we get to stand in the place that is rightfully his. Nothing you can do can add to that, so stop trying. In Christ, there is nothing you have done that will make God love you less. And there is nothing you can do that will make God love you more.